Welcome to Category Visionaries, the show dedicated to exploring exciting visions for the future from the founders who are on the front lines building it. In each episode, we'll speak with a visionary founder who's building a new category or reimagining an existing one. We'll learn about the problem they solve, how their technology works, and unpack their vision for the future. I'm your host, Brett Stapper, CEO of Frontlines Media. Now let's dive right into today's episode. Hey, everyone, and thanks for listening. Today, I'm speaking with Eduardo Silva, CEO and co-founder of Calyptia, an observability platform that's raised $5 million in funding. Eduardo, thanks for chatting with me today. Hi, Brett. Thank you so much for the invitation. Happy to be here. Yeah, no problem. So before we begin talking about what you're building, can we start with a quick summary of who you are and a bit more about your background? Yeah, well, I'm 42 years old Chilean guy living in Costa Rica that has been involved in open source development for more than 20 years. And part of the background, software engineer, I work a lot of time as a consultant, then at Oracle as an engineer, then I joined Treasure Data, and now I'm in my own journey at Calyptia. Very cool. And a couple of questions just to better understand you know, who you are as a founder. Is there yeah. a founder CEO that you're studying the most now? And if so, why? Yeah, actually, when started this company, right, it, it has a lot of story behind it. Actually, I found myself always being a kind of entrepreneur guy, trying to create in a projects that solves problems, but also are they were really good for me to have a a good learning, right? How to do technology, how to create solutions, and when you start leading projects, these projects get some success, you become some kind of leader, right? And when you are leader in a project and this project get traction you start getting these insights of how to put addition for something, how to improve things, how to get a, a wide adoption. And things start to evolve naturally. So, and as a founder, for me, it just has been like a natural path on that from simple steps like creating an open source project, becoming a maintainer of the project, generating traction, and becoming a founder, I would say it's not that different. But it just has a commercial angle. But of course, a lot of complexity from the commercial side, right? Mm-hmm. Like marketing, learning about marketing, learn about sales, learn about funnels, personas, and how this works in, in the real world. Got it. Makes a lot of sense. Very cool. And now let's talk a little bit about the origin story. So could you tell me a bit more about the founding story behind the company and then the high-level pitch on what you do? Yeah, when it was in my 18 years old, 20 years old, going to give you a whole background. Mm-hmm. At that moment, I wanted to learn to program at that moment in C language. So I needed a good excuse. And I was attending a Linux conference at that time. I'm talking about 98, could be, 99. Everything was kind new on Linux and attending a conference and a company was developing a web server in C that was kind of open source. So, and they told us, hey, if you want to participate on this project, just talk to us. So I just approached them right after the talk. Hey, I want, I was a young guy, just the first time on university, right? First year. Hey, I want to participate. This looks really cool because I like everything that's about connecting, even connecting people or connecting bits or bytes or the network. And they told me, oh, do you know how to program in C language? I told them, no, but you can learn. No, so you can't. Really? No. Very pedantic person. 
So I said, okay, I cannot learn. Okay, let me try myself. Maybe I can try to create my own project. It's like if nobody, nobody lets you get into their party, you create your own party, that kind of thing. So I created my own my own web server project. It got some traction, uh, got attention from Google Summer of Code program, got a lot of users, but it was some kind of side project. And if you take a look at the web server, it's all about connecting two pieces, right? A client, a server, moving data around. After some years, I was working at Oracle in support. I was working on Oracle Linux stuff. And after that, joined a company called uh, Treasure Data that had this open source project called FluentD, right? And FluentD was what is called right now a login agent, which pretty much does is move data from A to B. It takes the application information like logs or metrics and just move them around to a backend to a destination. So I joined it to, to help to how to make the project more successful here in the Americas because it has some really uh, Japanese roots and it was really known in, in Japan. But here in the Americas, they have some strategy, but they needed help to, to promote it. So since I had some open source background, I was there to help on that. And then also they told me about the next challenge. Hey, we're talking about seven years ago, right? They told me, hey, the trillion IoT devices is going to be connected in the future, kind of predictions that the market, uh, you know, faces. And say, oh, we can use FluentD for that. Yeah, but FluentD is written in Ruby, Ruby language, which is a, a bit heavy for a system level application. And at that time it was good. It was working, but I came up with the idea, hey, what about if we write a new version of this project, open source, but in C language, right? We do a backdrop by writing the web server and we try to solve the set problem and try it but in a more optimized way. And all of that happens at the same time that uh, Kubernetes uh, was released, uh, the Cloud Native Computer Foundation was around, Linux Foundation was involved. So FluentD joined the foundation and of course FluentBit because they are in the same family. And when this project started getting a lot of traction, I become what is called a maintainer of the FluentBit project and kind of the, the visible face for the FluentD project. Just a heads up here is like, okay, FluentD was everywhere, right? Everybody was using FluentD, like Amazon Web Services, Microsoft, uh, Google Cloud, because it was a very reliable solution for production. And with all this movement of cloud native microservices and where now environments were generated more data, times more data than before. You know, sometimes a FluentD struggle with the load and FluentBit becomes like the natural choice for users. And well, FluentBit now is like the default for a log processing. It can do metrics yeah. traces. And FluentBit now is deployed more than, I don't know, 10 million times a day. And with this traction, the next natural step, it was like, okay, companies are using this project. Companies are asking for help. So the next natural thing is, okay, let's create a company around this ecosystem. And I partnered with my ex-colleague at Treasure Data that I knew him before, Andra Gupta, mm -hmm. who we are co-founders of Calitia. He was a, recently, he, he was working at Elastic Cloud. So he was very into observability, same as myself. Mm -hmm. So we started this company to create the enterprise chapter of a fluent uh, ecosystem. That's kind of the short story of how, how everything started. Nice. 
I love that context. That's super helpful. And if we're looking at what you're doing today, when it comes to market categories, how are you thinking about the market category? Is this an observability platform or how do you describe that category? Yeah, Calitia definitely is in the observability space. Mm-hmm. So if which category is observability? And, and this is interesting because there's a lot of bias around observability. And one of our primary goals as a company is to simplify observability. Actually, it's fun because we build technology that everybody runs in production that solves one problem, but from the other side adds another problem, right? And one of them is operational burden. So with Calitia, our final vision and goal is to simplify observability in a way that people never ever think again that an agent is running in their in their system and people can just observe data, right? For example, to give you more context on that, if you, in any company, they want to observe the behavior of applications, they want to be uh, proactive in terms of if something goes wrong, be able to monitor what's going on or take some action to make sure that the systems are working. So that is kind of observability as a quick summary, but when you say this is observability, this is what I need, then you start thinking like from the right to the left, hey, okay, I need the data, right? And if I'm going to get the data, where do I'm going to store the data to do this analysis? And you pick, you can pick up many vendors, any kind of vendor. Could be Splunk, Elastic, or I don't know, open source solutions like Kafka, where you can aggregate the data. So you can then run your analysis on top of it and you can observe. Until that, the decision is quite fast and easy. But then if you move more to the left, then comes the real challenge. It's like, how do you collect the data when you have 100,000 servers and all applications are shipping data in different formats in different ways? So how do you move the data from A to B so you can achieve observability? And that is the complex part. And we created the solution. We created the tools to solve the original problem. And now the next big challenge for us is like, how do we reshape observability in a way that people no longer think about agents. And from a commercial perspective, you can think that every company that performs observability, they have no less than two, three people in charge of the data collection pieces. Mm -hmm. So how do we can automate that? How we can simplify all that part? And that is Calitia. So uh, part of our vision is simplify observability. So people can just focus on extract value from the data insights. Interesting. Very cool. And where are you seeing the most adoption right now in terms of market? You know, what types of companies are are adopting the platform? Okay, we have two types of adoption since we are the creators and maintainers of an open source ecosystem, which is Fluent. I would say 90% of our customers are from the open source ecosystem because they were using Fluentbit. For one example, financial institutions are using Fluentbit to move data and process data at scale. 100,000 servers. But they were using the open source version of the agent, which is fine. It runs in production. But the release cadence of that project, it could be every week, every two weeks. So if you get a bug, that bug will be fixed in a week and plus also can come with certain new features. And if you think how a big company operates when it's about to ship a new version of any type of software, most of the time that has to go through a security process internally. Mm-hmm. I could take two months 
right? So for the moment that you can update your agent, get everything that you wanted, might take some time. Plus, maybe you can get some breaking changes in the middle. So as Calitia for that specific problem, we ship what is called a Calitia Fluentbit, which is kind of LTS edition of Fluentbit, long-term support. It's something you can run, just get security fixes for 18 months. So part of our, our customers and, and users comes from the ecosystem. From the other side, we are double and triple down, I would say, on the Kubernetes ecosystem, where the problem of moving data from one place to the other keeps growing. So most of the market adoption come from infrastructure places, companies. Well, most of companies now are software companies, even, I don't know, Uber, right? Uber, you can say, some people say this is a, it's a cab company or just a food delivery company. Actually, there's a software company. But all of them share the same problem. They have infrastructure, they need to move data, they need to analyze it. So I would say that majority of our market and adoption comes from everybody who deploys software in the cloud and on-prem. Got it. Very cool. And one other question that I wanted to ask you earlier on and just remembered about it, but do you view it as a disadvantage, the fact that you're not in Silicon Valley and you're being in Costa Rica? Does that hurt you in any way in terms of fundraising and customer acquisition? Or what are your thoughts there? Oh, I have very unique views on that. Um, maybe most of listeners might not agree. But I'm going to answer it based on my experience as an engineer working for a U.S. company outside of the U.S. I was always encouraged to go to U.S. to work because there was all the network, all the things. And I think that is true. Okay. But also, I noticed that being outside of the U.S., outside of that, we can call it a bubble, mm-hmm. I could have a wider vision for things that are happening. Okay, and when it's about to start a company, I think that we're very lucky because we got support from previous founders and previous investors from the previous company that we were working on Mm -hmm. uh, at Treasure Data. So we didn't struggle too much, but always this think of go to US or meet with VCs is something that comes up. And I would say that we have to be very open-minded that everything in this world is not just Silicon Valley. Mm-hmm. The problem that a U.S. company has, the same problem exists in Europe, the same problem exists in Japan. And also you might notice when you are from the outside that Americas is very crowded with solutions for the same problem. Mm-hmm. In the meanwhile, you go to other places, there are not many vendors, there are not many solutions in place. So I would say sometimes it's a challenge. It's a challenge because there's good things to be there, but also good things for me, at a personal level, to be outside the U.S. So I feel more free to connect with people from everywhere, not just Silicon Valley. So it's good to be in the middle, right? Part mm-hmm. in U.S., but part outside of it. Actually, I have my own unique views about when it's about funding rounds, building a company. This is my first time building a company. Mm-hmm. But I think that every time that you have the chance to create something, maybe you should try to do something different. It doesn't need to be follow the same pattern that others. Not because we don't want to follow it, because maybe there is a better way to do it. And it's a kind of iteration. It's a test and try. But yeah, so so far so good as of now. So most of our workforce is outside the US. 
just we are at 21, 22 people right now. I would say we have just three people in US and all of the, the rest are distributed in Chile, Argentina, well, in Costa Rica, have Japan, Spain, UK, India, everywhere. And I'm guessing it's much easier to hire that way then too, right? It's probably much less competitive in those markets to hire great engineers as opposed to trying to hire if you were in Mountain View or Palo Alto. Okay, this is also a complex topic. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you have a wider market to hire people. Mm -hmm. But if you're going to hire people that works remotely, they need to have certain skills that are not technical. And then I'm talking about soft skills, like good communication, productivity, and a lot of discipline, mm -hmm. you know, and that is hard to guess when you are not face-to-face -to, -face to the person. Mm -hmm. In the meanwhile, when you are, a, for example, if you're in Silicon Valley, you're going to meetups, it's really easy to understand what type of profile you have in front of you or the type of person. And you know, if this person was to working for this company, you know that there's certain expected level of quality, or at least this person knows, understand processes, understand how things works. Right. Remotely is a challenge, but also you can find a lot of gems, people who just needed opportunities for something that they didn't know that existed. Mm -hmm. People who maybe they knew about open source, but they never contributed before or they never worked for a remote company. So also it's, it's a good opportunity. So I would say that I'm quite happy with the team that we have. Right. And everything that has followed naturally, hiring people that, you know, was we know from references or was around us and others were just discovered. Some of them were like, hey, well, this is one example I was looking at. Okay, I need to find a person that has these specific skills. My background is engineering. So where engineer sits in my world at GitHub. So I will take a look at which person is writing a project around these technologies on this week. And I found one, two candidates doing something around it and those people got hired right away. Mm -hmm. Right. That's a tip for hiring, right? But anyway, sourcing takes time, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Interesting. And as you've brought this to market, what would you say has been your biggest challenge or the greatest challenge that you face? And how'd you overcome that challenge? Well, we are just pre-product market fit. So when you are at this stage, you can see that everything has been a challenge <laughs> because we are pivoting ideas. You might understand this, right? Pivoting ideas, trying out messaging, and I think one of the challenges that we have now is like when a company grows in a short period of time, a few months ago, we were like 10 people. Now we're 20. But it's not about company growth. It's about the grow your internal practices too, mm -hmm. from engineering perspective for business management and everything about leadership. And you find many gaps, right? Same will happen when your company grow with from 20 to 50 people. So we are just in, in, in that transition of putting a, or trying to find where are the gaps and how to improve to, to mix this engine work in the right way. It's not that it's not working, but always can go faster, right? Mm -hmm. So I think that, that that's one of the of the final goals. And yeah, so I, I would say that that's one of the, the critical things. Yep. Nice. And last question here for you. If we zoom yeah. out into the future, what's the five-year vision for the company? Oh, simplify observability. People forget about agents, forget that Fluentbit exists. For, for example, just a case, yeah, Fluentbit has been deployed more than 3 billion times. Wow. This year is just 2 billion times. So I want to reach a point where we said, you know, we accomplished our vision where people is extracting the right 
value from the data and it's quite normal. Mm -hmm. Same as you, everything's for granted, like, I don't know, you get into your car and you can drive it. You, you don't think about the engine. Sometimes you know that you have to put some gas, but that's it. So we want that experience for observability. People just get faster response to incident. People can take better decisions because right now everything is really slow. It's really slow, but nobody noticed because it's a normal. But we build technology to solve all these problems. And at some point, we just sit down, analyze how things is working in the market. And we say, hey, there's many things that are working great, but observability is still in early stage. There's so much to do. And it's not about to add more tools. I would say that it's about to simplify the process in the middle, redefine how this works. Yeah, so I would say, and as I started this conversation, you asked me my background, interests, and I told you about, I like to connect. Mm -hmm. So I, I want to get a point where people is doing observability and they're not thinking about anything else but the data that they're just consuming. And yeah, so I think that, yeah, that might take a couple of years. Amazing. Unfortunately, that's all we're going to have time to cover for today. Before we wrap, if people want to follow along with your journey, where's the best place for them to go? Twitter is a, is a good place. My, I'm the old, I'm old guy, so I have my nickname. is um, like my, my full name, but using a few words, is E-T-S-I-P-E-R. I, I can give you then name. It's the same for Twitter, LinkedIn, GitHub. I'm not sharing my journey in total as, as this kind of interview, but I think that it's really fine to, it, is, it would be really good to do it. But if people want to connect with me, it will be eduardo at calipte.com. Happy to follow up. Everything that I can do to help others or share knowledge or avoid that you can make a mistake based on my experience. Yeah, happy to chat about that. Sounds great. Well, thanks again for joining. I've really enjoyed our conversation. I love what you're building and really appreciate that you have you know, opinions that go against the grain of you know, what others believe. So thanks so much for joining and look forward to seeing you execute on this vision. Thank you, Britt. I appreciate the time too.